This is Chrysalis. Part 9 My first instinct was to run. They were killing me, and I needed to find a way out. All I wanted was to engage my warp drive and jump back to another system, someplace safe where I could take a breath, lick my wounds, and repair my damages. But that wasn't an option. My warp drive would take several minutes to prime, and I wasn't going to survive for that long. I was trapped. I suddenly wished I hadn't limited myself to a single body. I had done so as a way of remaining human, silencing that ever-present inner voice that told me what I risked becoming. But right now, I would gladly forego that last vestige of my humanity, to be able to transfer my mind to a new set of processing servers, or even to have made a backup of myself, repulsive as that thought might still feel. No time for regret. I had to do something, right now. I engaged my remaining thrusters and maneuvered so that one of my static support ships would lie between myself and the starfish battleship. It now absorbed the blow of the powerful energy beam. This was a temporary solution before the enemy repositioned, but it would give me the short respite I needed. A few seconds in which to re-engage my shields and plot my next move. I was desperate. I had lost all control of my swarm. I had lost my support ships, incapable of maneuvering or returning fire. They were nothing more than high-tech floating boulders. My own body was bleeding. There were uncontrolled fires inside my main structure, entire sectors without power, some exposed to the vacuum of space. And despite having managed to restore functionality to my shields, I knew they would inevitably fail again. And when that happened, my time left would be limited. I felt a familiar anger, a flashback to the destruction of Earth. That same helplessness, defenselessness that my species once felt. I considered a surrender, contacting the Council fleet to wave the white flag. I'd rather die. And not in a rhetorical sense I had come to realize. I would literally rather die than concede. But no. I didn't want it to come to that. I considered my position, my options, trying to find a new path I could take. Perhaps locate a vulnerability I could exploit that would allow me to resume control of my drones. I knew I was being jammed, but little more than that. I needed information. Was this signal disruption targeting me specifically, or my vicinity? Did distance influence the jamming? Was it a single enemy perpetrator? And if so, was there a way for me to identify it and take it down? My own radio sensors were useless, providing only garbled information. But those weren't the only sensors in my fleet. I reached for my support ships, asking them to check their sensors to tell me if they too were being affected by the distortion. Due to the communications breakdown, I had to repeat my orders several times before one of the ships finally replied. It took tremendous effort to interpret the distorted answer, causing my mounting nausea to worsen. The support ships produced their results. Their radio sensors were working just fine. So the jam was targeted at me. A salvo of enemy missiles approached my flank. Without the swarm's obedience, I couldn't have my drones intercept them 
I activated my own laser projectors, tracking a few of the projectiles and burning them down. But there were just too many, and my energy weapons were too slow. I was losing the numbers game. Ironic, to be on the receiving end of one of my own tactics. Four missiles impacted my hull, passing through my shields and leaving gaping holes in their wake, each new explosion destroying drone compartments and internal hangars. I sighed with relief when I noticed the projectiles only carried conventional explosives, rather than the nuclear warheads I would have used. Thankfully, I was being spared this tactic. My position was precarious. Aside from a single support ship protecting me from their superweapon, I was fully exposed. And that superweapon was currently mid-rotation to attack me from a new angle. I had to find a better cover and the only available one I could think of was the swarm itself. Surrounded by a sea of my own machines, burrowing into its chaotic clump wasn't as effective as having it stealthily shroud me, but I had no other alternative. I didn't know exactly where the swarm was, with an abundance of misinformation and compromised data incoming by the second. For simplicity, I decided to cut all communications with the swarm. I stopped all radio transmissions and discarded all electromagnetic sensor data. I would rely solely on my visuals and gravimetrics. Immediately, the clashing views I had of the battlefield in my head all coalesced into a single clear picture. The mounting headache simply vanishing, my nausea subsiding. It was an odd sensation. My drones had always been a part of me, an extension of my own body, but now for the first time, they looked separate. It was unsettling. They felt alien, inhuman. Seeing them through my own senses, I couldn't perceive any of that connectivity I had experienced with them before. I had the unnerving thought that the swarm would wake from its slumber and start attacking me. Was this how the Zanvirians saw my drones? How they saw me? But the machines didn't attack me. And I couldn't afford the luxury of waiting for that nightmare to subside, so I focused on the immediate task, finding cover. I identified a portion where the swarm was the thickest, a blob large enough to cover my entire body, and without thinking it twice, I charged it. I engaged my thrusters and accelerated, crossing the empty space as fast as I could. The moment I started moving, the starfish battleship's weapon fell again on my shields, draining them fast. But this time, I was counting on that, and my shields managed to hold long enough for me to reach the thick of the swarm. I entered like a bowling ball, crashing into hundreds of machines, their bodies bouncing off my hull, fragmenting into a sea of broken pieces and metal shards. It worked. Every single enemy warship was shooting at me, but they now had thousands of obstacles to penetrate before their weapons could reach my body. Their missiles couldn't find a clear path among the sea of floating, deactivated drones. They exploded in the periphery, clearing out entire sections of the swarm, but still far enough from me that they weren't an immediate threat. I wasn't sure what to do next. Activating warp drive now was risky, because to spool it, I'd need to divert energy from my shields, and the protection my dormant swarm offered was only calculated to be 93%. I wanted to try something else first and save that for a last resort. 
Hiding and running might prevent me from losing, but they'd never let me win. I wanted to win. Time to see if I could regain control of the swarm. I still didn't know where the jamming originated from. If they were smart, the source would not be within this bubble of distortion, but elsewhere. And now that I had removed the noise and confusion caused by the faulty communications, and my mind had cleared, I began to notice something. I still had control over my outposts. My factories in the Centauri system, my resource extractors in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, my assembly lines in the Lumen solar system, they were all working as intended. I felt a dark amusement at the idea that I could easily send orders to a drone light years away, while the absolute closest ones to me were useless. But this revelation was important. It meant that whatever jamming method they were using, it was only affecting the local radio spectrum. My quantum entangled relays were still functional. I had installed quantum relays at each outpost for long-range messaging, as opposed to the short-range radio transmission my drones used. But I had never thought of using quantum links to talk to the machines that were right next to me. After all, you don't use a telephone when you want to talk to someone in the same room. And in my case, the drones didn't have phones. But I could build phones. I could manufacture a quantum relay, slap it into a drone's chassis, and expel it from my body beyond the bubble of EM distortion. I set to work immediately. My assembly line sprung back into action. In 60 minutes, you can fulfill your alcohol orders through Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can easily browse your favorite brands, compare prices of local stores, and then have your necessary spirit supplies delivered, just in time to craft your next chrysalis cocktail. Download the app or visit DRIZLY.com today. Use code DUST and save $5 on your first order. I decided to build two quantum relays, one as a replacement in case the council managed to compromise the first. All the while, I was monitoring the council fleet. They were focusing their attacks on the swarm, using their energy beams to drill a tunnel through the sea of machines, their missiles taking out entire chunks. The drones were still moving, drifting aimlessly all around me, so any space the enemy cleared was soon reoccupied by new machines. It was as if the council ships were trying to dig a hole in a patch of quicksand. But long term, it would work for them. Slowly but surely, their weapons were advancing towards me. I knew I wouldn't have much time to implement my plan. Less than three minutes later, my first quantum relay drone emerged from its factory, and I had a couple of worker machines launch it from a landing bay into space. I waited for it to drift a few hundred meters, far enough that I knew it would have crossed the bubble of distortion. I sent it through the newly established quantum link and ordered it to relay my transmissions back into the EM spectrum. Immediately, the swarm came back to life, back into focus, hundreds of thousands of machines popping into my awareness, eagerly awaiting my orders. I felt a wave of relief wash over me. I accessed the machine's own EM sensors, relying on them instead of the jammed ones in my main body. I restarted the attack patterns, ordering the drones to move forward again toward the enemy, to engage their weapons, to surround the council ships. 
the Council fleet's response was reflexive, getting back on the defensive, their weapons focusing again on bringing down the approaching swarm. I started building back the complexity I had lost. Now that I was back in control, I was reminded of just why I never fought from the safety of my other systems. Why I was always on the front lines, rather than relaying my orders through a quantum link to an attack swarm light years away. It simply didn't work. I had known all along, I suppose. I was aware that the quantum link's bandwidth would be too limited, that there would be an extra lag to my orders. The prospect of regaining control of the swarm had been too appetizing for rational thought. I had neglected to consider the logistics. My drones were stupid, their simple processing units only valid for receiving orders and executing them. They couldn't coordinate an attack on their own, move as a group and support each other, let alone engage an enemy and flank them in a complex spiral. They relied on me for all of that. I had the macro vision of the ongoing battle. I called all the shots. But the quantum link lacked the capacity for that nuance. My attack patterns weren't developing with the quickness or precision that I needed them to. So I had to decide. I could control the entire swarm with a very low degree of accuracy, just like I did my mining outposts. Or I could mount a very convoluted attack that used only a small fraction of all the machines, leaving the rest of the swarm idle, both losing strategies. I felt like screaming in frustration. I had played my last card, the ace up my sleeve. I couldn't win. And if I stayed this course, I would surely lose. My swarm would be destroyed, and then nothing would stop them from finishing me off. I wasn't going to take out this Keystone world. The Zunvir Republic wasn't going to collapse. Not today. Today, I was fighting for my own survival. And with that acceptance came liberation. If my swarm was all but lost, then I didn't need to care about preserving it for a hypothetical future attack. I was free to consider new, more aggressive tactics. I wasn't going to win, but could I somehow turn this sound defeat into a draw? Could I sacrifice my swarm to destroy the entire council fleet? A quick inventory of my remaining machines told me that, yes, perhaps I could. The plan would be risky. If I didn't time it perfectly, I could die. And if I did execute it without error, it was up to chance whether it would be successful or hurt me further. I didn't care. If this last move failed to take out the Council fleet, then I would just fling my 27-kilometer self into the planet as fast as I could, put an end to it and me. So with that strangely zen acceptance, I decided to go forth. I couldn't administer intricate orders to my machines, not using this cumbersome relay, but I wouldn't need anything too complex. Just a simple order, the exact same for each and every drone. Follow me. I didn't wait to see if they did. I engaged my thrusters and accelerated as fast as I could. I sped away from the battle, in the opposite direction of the planet, away from the enemy fleet, and after an unsurprising delay, my cloud of machines followed me too. 
The council fleet stood paralyzed for a few seconds, debating their response. But I knew what they would do. They were like sharks, attracted by the smell of blood. They were winning. They knew they were winning. They would instinctively go for the kill. Of course, they pursued me. I flew as fast as my damaged thrusters allowed, the cloud of drones trailing behind me like a sweeping dragon's tail. And behind them, almost the entirety of the enemy fleet followed, battleships and destroyers having abandoned their formations. I let the chase go on, continuously monitoring the distance between my main body and the nearest drones. I may have overestimated the speeds I could reach, but I did my best working my thrusters even harder. I knew that every meter I gained increased my chances at survival. But every second that passed was another opportunity for the enemy to anticipate my daring move. A difficult risk-reward calculation. Eventually, it was time to pull the trigger. I sent another order to my swarm, the penultimate one, if my plan would work. A simple direction to all of the machines at once. Stop. They started decelerating. I kept moving forward, getting away from the mass as fast as I could, every meter counted. The enemy fleet reacted fast too, but I knew it was already too late for them. Some ships tried to alter their trajectory to avoid entering the thick of the swarm, Others focused their energies in decelerating, rotating on their axes and trying their best to reduce speed. It was futile. Their battleships and destroyers simply couldn't stop as fast as my nimble drones could. Too much momentum, too much mass to decelerate. As one, the Council fleet ran into my cloud of machines like fish into a net. During the entire battle, the enemy had been aware of the shell game I was playing. They had done their best to stay away from the thick of the swarm, knowing the sudden and unexpected destruction that awaited any ship that entered it. And now, all of them, all of their warships, all of their destroyers and cruisers and battleships were right in the middle of my sea of drones. I checked the distance again. It would have to do. I sent my last order. A simple one directed to all the machines carrying thermonuclear warheads. Detonate. That was Chrysalis, Part 9, performed by Corey Hawkins and Matthew Wolfe, directed by Alex Kemp. Chrysalis was written by S.H. Serrano and adapted by Stephen Michael and Macklin Malogi. Chrysalis is executive produced by Corey Hawkins, executive produced by Stephen Michael, and associate produced by Sarah Newton at Gunpowder and Sky. This season is produced by Toby Lawless at Wolf at the Door Studios.